as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710-KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. Terry Canales is an attorney. He is uh, also part of a, a, a large family in South and um, um, storied family, I guess, in South Texas. He's a state representative representing part of Hidalgo County. He was first elected in 2012. He has been a a uh, transportation committee chairman for the last two sessions, including the one that just finished. And he also is now involved in the impeachment of attorney general Ken Paxton. Thanks for being with us. What, what's your, what's your role going to be in this? So thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the speaker appointed a board of managers, uh, which is part of the procedural process. And I'm one of the board of managers Uh, The Board of Managers is responsible for presenting the facts, Um, and as it stands, I believe that it's governed by both the civil rules of procedure and evidence and also the criminal code of procedure, and our role is somewhat as prosecutors, um, and what the criminal code of procedure reads is prosecutors aren't to be seeking convictions, you're supposed to seek justice, and Mm. I believe that that is what our role is, to seek justice. Do you have much criminal... Uh, criminal law background uh, I've been practicing criminal defense as part of oh. part of my firm for um, almost 20 years well I suppose so I was thinking I was thinking you were mostly civil but I stand corrected now uh, what's what's this I read about Dick DeGarren and Rusty Harden being appointed to p- participate in this so, so under the the rules and what the board of managers is allowed to do is allowed to hire independent legal teams to help them and that's imperative because uh, even all 12 members of us um, some of us are lawyers most of us are but the reality is we're a non-paid legislature or a part-time legislature so to speak mm-hmm. and it's almost impossible to get all 12 to coordinate especially when you look at the depth of the charges how many articles of impeachment they are there are and how much evidence there is and so uh, getting everybody together to do that would be relatively impossible. And so one of the things we've done is, uh, under the rules that we're permitted to do, is hire independent counsel uh, to help us formulate the trial strategy, questions, cross-examinations, direct examinations, and the evidence that we want to present. Uh, on the other side, Attorney General Paxton, d- does he get to defend, w- when he defends himself, which we assume he will, does he have access to state funds to do that, or does he, does he have to do it with private money, or how does that work? So I believe it's much like uh, when a district judge or any other elected official is facing impeachment, is that you've got to hire your own counsel. Okay. For instance, if somebody files a complaint with the State Judicial Commission and they pick up the charge against the judge, the judge has to hire their own lawyers, and that's the way it is across all branches. 
which of the you you can tell i'm steering around some of the charges because there's a lot of them and it would take us 10 minutes at least to try to summarize them what do you think is the most um most important most damaging thing of which he is accused uh, the most damage, there's 20 articles of impeachment, but the most damning ones are the abuse of his office, using his office uh, and inappropriately directing members and high-ranking members of the attorney general's firm uh, or, or organization to make representations of law and draft opinions of law contrary to the decisions. And he did that in an effort to uh, benefit and involve himself with an individual by the name of Nate Paul. Nate Paul also finished out the attorney general's, uh, remodeled his house and, and, uh, is involved with administering payments to, uh, his paramour or his, uh, you know, he was having an an extramarital affair. So all of those things, but it's the abuse of the office and the, there's, there's even allegations of bribery. Uh, it's, it's the depth of it is pretty impressive. Terry Canales is a state representative. This is, I guess, your fifth term. You were first elected in 2012 representing, like, North Hidalgo County. This, Am I right about that? This was my sixth term. Oh, sixth term. Sixth six term and third term as the chair. Oh, well, see, <laughs> that's unsettling for me to be that wrong, <laughs> to be that wrong in public. Um, how much are these guys getting paid? Is that... You know how much the two – because these are, I guess, these are top-drawer lawyers, criminal lawyers in the state of Texas, I, I guess. the I should tell the people. What do they get paid? So, all, all, so at this time, I'm not privy to what the actual contract is and what they're getting paid, but it will be disclosed. There's nothing about this that yeah. won't be transparent. And if you, you've known me long enough to know that if there's anything that we're going to be, it's going to be transparent. Uh, has anybody – this is a this is a hobby horse of mine. If you accuse somebody of something criminal or actually anything, and they say I didn't do it, okay, that's a denial. If they say I didn't do anything wrong, or they don't answer directly, did you do X? No, I did not do X. That always raises suspicions in my mind. Now, sometimes that's just the way people talk, but I didn't hear I didn't hear all of the stuff Saturday afternoon that. But I didn't. I don't think I heard anybody say no. The things of which he is accused, he did not do. Did you hear? So not that? one person. No, no, not one person on the House floor uh, that tried to defend Ken Paxton. Uh, and what I will mention is that eighty percent of the House voted for the impeachment. Almost a fifty-fifty split between Republicans and Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, not one person said, "Oh, he didn't do these things." Uh, they were more concerned about the process. And what I can tell you is the yeah. process was followed exactly like I've seen my whole life, the way an investigation happens, the way a grand jury functions, the way uh, everything everything happened basically to the letter of the law. But no one has denied that he's done it. No one has said he didn't do it. In fact, to the contrary, they've actually said, uh, we know he did these things, and that's why, uh, and he was subsequently elected, and, and that's a defense. Yeah. But that doesn't work here because most of these things that are in the articles of impeachment were at, done after or came to the knowledge of the House, not the public, but to the House, after his last election, which he won resoundingly. Um, yeah, I guess the reply would be, would he have won resoundingly if everyone was um, aware of or, or familiar with the, the, what, what the House got Saturday afternoon, the laundry list of things that 
that that he's I, up for judgment on, and they wouldn't. No, know. I don't believe. I don't believe that anybody would, in good conscience, elect somebody uh, that knows what we know. Uh, and I know there's a lot of people that are standing up for him because he's been a, a uh, you know, a true, uh, you know, warrior for the far right, and he's done a lot of things and sued the federal government and been successful in a lot of measures. But that doesn't mean you're above the law. And so, uh, politics aside, the question is, has he abused his office and has he committed these crimes and has he violated the public trust? Well, the information I see says beyond a reasonable doubt, there's absolutely no question. And my, my stance is, if you believe he should have been impeached, I will challenge anyone to respond like that after they've seen what we present to the Senate, because it is absolutely unbelievable. Well, it have you seen stuff that's not been made public? Uh, there was the the hearing, which I've not seen, but has been recorded and is available online. Two-hour hearing, was it, with the um, investigating committee, which I, we've been told here on KURV was just astounding, the stuff they heard. Well, what I'll tell you is this. I'll quote uh, Rusty Harden, and his response to the media is, uh, it, it's way worse than what you've seen. Good Lord. I guess I shouldn't say good Lord about this. Has, um, of course, his wife, uh, we should tell people his wife, Angela Paxton, is a state senator from from the Plano, Plano area. Uh, she will be sitting in judgment on him, I guess. So on, yeah, on June 20th, the, the, the Senate is supposed to have already adopted the rules, is my understanding of the release by the lieutenant governor. And those rules will determine whether she does or doesn't. The Senate is a jury, and the question is, you can't, I can't, have never heard of a civil or a criminal jury where somebody's wife or family gets to sit in judgment. That's not the way it works. And there's also a senator uh, that is a potential witness uh, that has not been named at this point, it's been alluded to, but has not been named at this point as the straw uh, requester for the Attorney General to ask him for his own opinion regarding uh, something to defend Nate Paul, meaning somebody has to request an attorney general's opinion that has the authority. Yeah. And so the attorney general got a senator to ask him for his own opinion. And so uh, that senator could potentially be a witness. And so witnesses and interested parties should never be jurors. And if you, ex- and then there's a, it says uh, the rules say that the senators, all 31 present. Well, is it present and eligible? Is it present? Uh, because that makes a huge difference. Because if those two are excluded yeah. and counted as not not and counted in the vote, well, that's a huge benefit to the attorney general. The uh, the lieutenant governor uh, and Paxton are brothers in arms in in politics. I read. Uh, what's the lieutenant governor going to do about this? And you know, he's re- people tell us for what it's worth that yeah, he he runs the Senate with an iron hand. At least Republicans they. Is he going to tell them how to vote, or what's, what's he going to do? You know, I, I would tell you that that, would, that in and of itself might be an abuse of office and abuse of power and probably a crime, potentially racketeering. I think he's going to walk oh. have to walk a real fine line, but you are absolutely right when it comes to uh, the Senate. The lieutenant governor is probably one of the most powerful people and the most powerful lieutenant governors we've ever seen in modern Texas politics. So mo- moving forward, yeah, he's... I've never seen anything like it. I don't think anybody else has. Will he try to influence him? I would hope that he wouldn't, uh, but anything's possible. But uh, he will preside over the Senate almost like a judge. 
And in the last impeachment hearing in the 70s, uh, they hired Leon Jaworski to advise the, you know, the, the presiding officer because he wasn't a lawyer. So the question is, what are the rules? I think what's really important right here in the future of this, uh, how it unfolds, is what rules will the Senate adopt and how, um, how just will the lieutenant governor be in, in not only adhering to those rules, but, pre- but presiding over the matter? Uh, we've got a matter of seconds. The last impeachment and conviction was District Duval County District Judge O.P. Carrillo. Did I hear this right? Your father was involved in that? He filed the impeachment resolution. Uh, when the, o- the only other person than O.P. was Paul Ferguson, and they scoured the Capitol for the framework that they used, and there was no documentary evidence. And so my father drafted the impeachment articles and the resolution uh, and presented them to the House. O.P. was later impeached and was the first person in modern history that we have an actual legislative framework. Uh, and that framework that we're using today is based on what my father filed um, you know, in the oh. mid-'70s. Well, thank you very much for, for being with us, for joining us, for explaining this. And I'm, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again about this. Uh, Chairman, Texas State Representative and Chairman Terry Canales from Hidalgo County. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. Have you ever heard of Chaga's disease? I know it sounds like C-H-A-G-A apostrophe S, possessive, Chagas disease. It's actually named after a Brazilian doctor named Carlos Chagas, who discovered the disease in 1909. It's caused by the parasite Trypanosoma, <clears throat> Trypanosoma cruzi, or cruzi, which is transmitted to animals and people by insect vectors, it is found only in the Americas, mainly in rural areas of Latin America, where poverty is widespread. And it's also found here in South Texas, which is why we're going to talk with Dr. Emily Pro. She, she is a physician who is with the Texas Department of Health and is actually familiar with this. And um, I, I first became aware of it at a meeting of landowners in South Texas, and this was just kind of brought up in passing. Be careful if it gets your dogs or your horses, it'll eventually kill them. Um, before we go any further, though, what what is it? This is I can't think of another way to, to thanks for being with us. But what is it you do for the health department? Uh, you're responsible for the South Texas or this region, but do you see patients? Do you go make house calls, or what? What is it that that you guys do? Hi, good evening. Yes, Thanks for having me on this evening. So my name is Emily Pro, and I am a physician boarded in preventive medicine and public health. 
So I do see patients and I treat tuberculosis and Hansen's disease patients, Hansen's disease, which is also known as, as leprosy. Mm-hmm. And so those are the patients that I see, but our teams also work with immunizations, as you know, since mm-hmm. the pandemic, we, we were yeah. giving um, COVID vaccines and then, but we give also all of the vaccine preventable diseases, vaccines to children and adults, and also through our HIV STD program, we make sure that there's up on all HIV and syphilis cases that we do find. So those are the more clinical-based programs that we provide on top of other public health educational programs. Uh, yeah, you have a master's in public health, so you're sort of both sides of the coin. Uh, what What is... I, I, I'd forgotten about Chaga's disease until we found... I swear we found some of the bugs at my wife's place north of Raymondville in Willacy County. And they, it scares me to death because you could get, well, tell us about it. Yeah, so you probably recognize the kissing bug, and it's mm-hmm. called the triatamine bug. It uh, can also be called the blood sucker bug. <laughs> and so the bug can be easily recognized. The main thing is to figure out is it a vector or not? So a vector is when it has to be infected. So this bug would need to feed on an animal in order Mm -hmm. to get the parasite within its gut. And then that vector, then that bug, would need to then feed on a different animal. So if it's a, a horse or a dog or a person, and that can then transmit the parasite to the yeah. um to the person is is transmission of this deadly bug is it is it a hundred percent of the time or just part of the time or what do we know so if the parasite is within the gut of the bug well then the chances are high that it will it will transmit the way it happens is the uh, the bug would usually it likes to feed on around the head area mm-hmm. head neck area and so some of the findings that people can see are maybe a, um, a uh, you know, near the eye. It might, you might have a swelling near your eye, but some of the other symptoms that you might have are uh, some nonspecific symptoms, but fever, fatigue, rash, diarrhea, vomiting, and, and other symptoms can also affect your liver, your spleen, which can increase in um, girth but I think the main thing is to know what what do you have living in your household Mm -hmm. and as you mentioned at the beginning of the show it's really understanding you know do you have AC are the areas clean obviously we live in South Texas so there's always going to be bugs but making sure that um, you can see the floor and that there's We lost her. We lost Doctor. Oh, there you are. There can you, you are. hear me? Yes, ma'am. Oh, now, I'm so sorry. The, the I way started was, walking around. <laughs> the way it was described was it was associated with poor areas, but um, people who live in rural areas, whether they're poor or not, um, I I suppose you could find the bug, the kissing bug, uh, even if you were, even if things were all squared away. What I remember was it it likes the CO, CO2, the carbon dioxide that you breathe out. It likes that, mm-hmm. so it's attracted to it 
for a human being, maybe dogs too. So it goes toward it, and then it bites, or it's, I don't know, bite or sting or sticks. And if it's infected, then you you get the disease transmitted, and that's it, right? There's no shot or pill that you can give us that'll take care of it. There's no preventive treatment. So as you said, there's no vaccine, no shot, or no drug that you can take before. Let's say you're going to be doing research somewhere, or you know that you're going to an area that has a lot of these bugs, well, then there's no drugs that can prevent it. But there are antiparasitics that can be used as treatment. So the main thing is to identify what this, you know, identify the diagnosis. And to give you some numbers, we do have from 2020 to 2022, so in the past two years, we've had seven cases of disease or infection due to Chagas disease. So these are in humans, and so these are in Region 11, which is the 19 counties here in South Texas. So we do have cases, and it's important mm-hmm. to know that risk factor. So if people are um, outside sleeping um, in a tent or yeah. sleeping in, in areas that aren't well sheltered, then the risk is higher than if someone in, if someone's sleeping on a mattress on a floor, for example. So, you know, those are additional risk factors that can, um, that can place the person at higher risk. If you use, uh, when we go out into the brush, we use some insect repellent for ticks. Um, can you use it? Do, are they repelled by cutters or whatever else you get at, at, at the store, number one? If you're going to sleep on the ground in a tent, if you use some sort of insecticide around the tent as a barrier, does that, like they, they get close to the barrier and ah, they, they're repelled and they go away? Or does, it, does anything work like that? These don't work with DEET, but having those insect nets or the mosquito nets mm-hmm. are very helpful. So with camping, I would definitely recommend the mosquito nets that can help any, any mm-hmm. critters from entering in the sleeping area. Well, we're almost out of time, but, and, and of course we don't have pictures, right? But what, it looks like um, th- th- there's more than one kind of this bug, if I remember right, and uh, what does it look like? Um, don't say it looks like Chaco's disease bug. <laughs> it, uh, so it's a black, a black slender bug that has sort of this really, you know, uh, elongated nose, and it has six legs and two little antennas. And there's male and female. And they're usually around the size of a. They could vary between, you know, their they're between the size of a, a dime and the size of a quarter. Okay. And, and so, you know, they're smaller than a roach, but they're usually black and red. And yeah, the red it. is sort of speckled on the back and, or striped on the back. And so that's how you usually recognize these bugs. And so making sure that people know about the symptoms and the test to be tested is a blood test. And so it's a simple blood test, but you do have to know what to test for. And that would be true with ve- veterinarians down here would be um, w- would would know about this or be on the lookout. It would be part of what they ha- have to be aware of, I suppose, or not. Oh yes, dogs and dogs are are actually um, okay. at risk of the parasite, mm-hmm. and so there is a lot of research with Texas A and M 
looking at uh, right. service dogs for Customs and Border Protection. All right, Dr. Emily Pro, I've got to go. And I didn't mean to rhyme right. it like that. But thank you very much for being with us. We appreciate it. Dr. Emily Pro is with the Texas Department of Health and Human Services here in South Texas. You're listening to the 956 Drive Home on 710KORV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710-KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710-KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710-KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. Uh, During a special called meeting, the uh, San Juan City Commission approved the creation of the San Juan Cultural Arts District. And uh, its creation... Can we lay this at the feet of the Gelman Stained Glass Museum, <laughs> which is next to the Basilica in San Juan? Um, if, if you're not Catholic and you drive on the expressway and you see that big building south of the – now, of course, it, the highway's all torn up. But this big building south of the expressway, you, you really – you're not supposed to say you can't miss it, but you can't miss it. Um, that's the Basilica. Um, and I'm going to stop right there and let Miriam Gelman tell us um, why she's here and what, what all this has to do. It all ties together. Uh, and the Basilica has been there since, in one form or another, Miriam, since 50s, 60s? The Basilica, the edifice of what it yeah, is now, is from the 80s. And then the cathedral that had gotten crashed into had been there from, I believe, 50s and 40s. Yeah. And even at that, the city of San Juan has its history from priests traveling down to that uh, historic Oblate Street that's yeah. there on the Basilica property um, for them to be coming into the area. So San Juan has a lot of history and culture that history tied up with 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 Catholicism, um, Christianity, and and uh, the Oblate Fathers. Right now, uh, see, I thought the Oblates were only like connected to mission because that you know they have, they have the mission and um, they were I, itinerant priests. They traveled around, going from ranch to ranch back in the olden days. I, b- I believe so, okay. and um, they would travel through the Oblate Street coming down uh, okay. from, you know, San Antonio down into the Rio Grande Valley, and um, they would, you know, get to the valley through there. Okay, so I remember when the present, um, when, the, when the present um, edifice opened up, the present sanctuary, because, um, you know, it taken them a long time to get that thing rebuilt, and I'm sure it was massively expensive, and I was working at Channel 4 at the time. I think it was in the late 70s, mm-hmm. and Channel 4 and I think Channel 5 both did live programming when they, I don't know, inaugurated or, or blessed or whatever you do when you open up a, when you open up something like that. Um, 
so it was um, I never thought about it till later I thought that's kind of unusual really in some ways and I'm sure I was unfortunately I was not around <laughs> during that time frame but thousands of people came yes to visit the site it's still a, 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 a site of pilgrimage right of course and that's something that you know when the idea of creating a cultural district in the city of san juan you know the idea it just clicked it mm -hmm. just worked perfectly like why is it not already a cultural arts district because everything yeah it everything falls in place and so you know religious pilgrimage you know during good friday this this past good friday i went to go see you know what was going to happen because they had the stations of the cross over 800 people in the rain it was raining that good friday showed up to just do, do the, the pilgrimage of the stations of the cross all right well i, I think i've made this a little disjointed <laughs> uh miriam gelman was the executive director of the gelman stained glass museum which if you haven't seen you you will really i think be stunned um stunned at it because it's kind of, from the outside it looks, kind of looks like a castle to me it looks like a castle but on the inside that's the that's the thing right that's it's the largest stained glass museum in america it's the largest stained glass museum in the united states it's also the only museum to have been solely constructed to replicate a cathedral oh, okay. so that's why a lot of people have confused it that yeah. if it's a church but it's the only museum in the world to have solely been constructed to replicate that cathedral-like experience when walking in I guess we should tell people that uh, the um, stained glass was assembled by Dr. Lawrence Gelman. He's an anesthesiologist and apparently a nut for stained glass. <laughs> He's gone all over you. So tell us, okay, give us give us the story in a linear fashion. I'll quit, I'll quit interrupting you. <laughs> as far as the, the cultural district? Yeah. So this idea emerged, you know, when I started working at the Gelman Stained Glass Museum, I'm, first off, I'm a workaholic. And I, I'm um, my forte is in governmental relations. So I was looking at different funding opportunities at the state level in uh, 2020 uh, for funding 2021 for funding to support the museum and to support beautification around the area. And so this is where I looked into cultural arts districts that are um, designated by the Texas Commission mm -hmm. on the Arts. And I looked into the process. And so there's a, there's a full process. There's 52 within the state. Really? There's 52. And the whole idea of becoming a designated uh, cultural arts district is to harness the power by the state government mm -hmm. in cultivating um, tourism and getting outside developers to come into the district and invest. And so I began looking at it back in 2020, 2021, took a pause, and then here we are, 2023. I began talking about it again with the city, and then I just said, I'm gonna do it. And so right now we are through the application process with the Texas Commission on the Arts. Um, there is a cultural district that's already uh, been incorporated. However, now is the next step to become designated by the Texas Commission on the Arts. Do you know if, if uh, I know Alamo has a museum, because uh, I've met the guy who runs it, and uh, they, they've, South Texas Historical Association has met under its auspices um, 
and I think they have an exhibit now on, on farm workers, farm, farm worker movement here in South Texas. Does San Juan have a museum? I don't think San so. San Juan as a museum? No, um, but... I'm not recommending it. My <laughs> wife was at the Historical Museum in Edinburgh. It's really expensive, and it's just hard to do it right. Right. Um, but we have the Gelmanstein Glass Museum. Yeah. The Basilica in itself has uh, artifacts Doesn't and it? artworks that if they wanted to be a museum, that's it a could. Idea. And so that's another you thing. talk to the bishop? Um, I've talked to Father Jorge and Bishop Flores, of course. You know how um, you can leave a legacy behind Bishop Flores. (laughs) And uh, Father Jorge actually is on the board for the Downtown Cultural Arts um, District in San Juan. And um, he's actually a big history major. I mean, art history major. Okay. And so he's, you know, he loves to support and... Uh, preserve the art art uh, artifacts that are there in the basilica mm-hmm. that people don't even know about. Like for example, that cathedral that got crashed into the plane. Yeah, there he has pieces of the plane, and so it's this, just very fascinating. See if I remember this right. Um, the the previous building or basilica was not. In, it was much smaller. Is that a church, a cathedral? Okay, but. Um, and this guy flew his single-engine airplane, crashed it into it, and killed himself. I don't think he killed anybody else. I don't think so. It was a miracle. That's how it was uh, told. And I understand that it is not known why he did what he did. He just he just did it, and um, it was a you know obviously a <laughs> that stuff. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm, that stuff doesn't happen every day, so they had to. And, and what's I didn't warn you about this. What's the function of the basilica? Uh, Catholics probably already know, but for the for the heathens and the pre- Protestants in the listening audience. So I am not Catholic myself, but I will um, what I uh, convey what I do know. The basilica is seen as a site of pilgrimage for many people across the. You know, it's an international yeah, to appeal pil- to the Virgin of Guadalupe. Virgen uh, de San Juan. It, Virgen de San Juan. Okay. And so people come in to see the Virgen de San Juan that is there. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'll see it in the the prayer, um, in the candle room behind the altar. And if you ever get a chance to go to the Basilica and just watch how people, you know, you see people coming. I've been there for events and I think probably for a funeral at one time or another. Uh, Well, you know... whenever you go to the basilica it's really a spiritual experience for anyone Mm -hmm. because you see people coming with toils you know in their life you can see it in their faces and they come and they're they get a sense of spiritual nourishment coming to the basilica and this is something that's very important because in my argument with the texas commission on the arts as far as when they were saying like why san juan you know because their their argument is it's it's just a it's just a basilica. I'm like, no, it's more than just a religious center. It's a it's yeah. it provides spiritual nourishment. Wash your mouth out, <laughs> and also, you know, during COVID, during the global pandemic, the first thing that closed were bars, restaurants. Mm. Some churches closed their doors, but they still remained open, and the basilica grounds still remained open people okay. came to the basilica still and they still continue today um so as we're winding this this segment up what do you want people to take away from this or what do you want people to know aside from come see the stained glass which you will, <laughs> it's really something really something um that 
you know, to be excited about this mm-hmm. cultural arts district um, that's coming forward in the city of San Juan, to be excited of the future of San Juan. And, you know, the, the first thing that people, when we talk about the city of San Juan and we talk about the Basilica, as far as the cultural arts district and harnessing the power of economic development, you know, what's the first, th- I don't know if you go to church, but, or maybe back in the day, you know, what's the first thing that you think of when you're going to church? Like, what, what is the first thing you want to do after church? <laughs> go eat. Exactly. And so this is... Go to is <laughs> Yes, I love, Baptist, I love Luby's, by the way. We got to get there for the Baptist, though. <laughs> and so this is where, you know, this religious epicenter and with the museum and with the city working all together to cultivate this district, yeah. where the goal is to make the city of San Juan a true or the mm-hmm. Sunday fun day, the family destination in the Rio Grande Valley. Which it's, you know, okay. the, like I said, the Basilica as there is the epicenter. It's pretty much easy. It has 1.5 million visitors annually Jesus a year. Uh, and they, they, they still have like, um, well, I'm almost done. Hotel rooms, or there's there is some opportunity to stay. Um, there is the Basilica the Hotel Room. There had they just uh, broke ground for a new Hilton yeah. Hotel, uh, an at home, I believe. Oh. And so there's a lot of movement coming to the city of San Juan, and there's a lot of opportunity for the city of San Juan. There's you know there's yeah. real estate, uh, there's vacant buildings. Um, the, the city is willing to work with whomever wants to come in to really make it a prime destination. And so that is the whole goal, you know, the next coming five to 10 years. All right, uh, Miriam Gelman, thank you. Thank you for explaining all this. Good luck, obviously. Uh, actually, we probably shouldn't wish good luck. Yes, um, and I would like to invite the audience that we do have a, an upcoming concert at the Basilica on June 16th. It's Friday, June 16th. Right. It's uh, titled World Without End. And it's conducted by Dr. Eric Posada with an opening performance by Dr. Dalia Guerra. Ah, okay. And so it's going to be a beautiful performance, and we really want to showcase the Basilica and this, the you know the downtown district and what yeah. the potential can be. Thank you very much, Miriam. You're listening to the 956 Drive Home here on 710KORV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. We'll let you know enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. The uh, Texas legislature meets every other year because that's the way they set it up 100 years ago. And that's the way we like it. And um, But when they can't get something done that that the big shots want done they have to have a special session and they are meeting in special session now in austin and they're stuck over how to cut your property taxes and that that's one of a number of things and they're probably figuring out how they're going to handle the impeachment well the impeachment trial of um, 
Attorney General uh, Dan Paxton, Harvey Kronberg has been watching with bated breath until he passed <laughs> he passed out. Ah, thump. So face forward in a pool of saliva. I tell That's you, right. <laughs> I've heard of, I've heard of worse ways to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> that 101 proof uh, rum that a friend of mine had one it didn't work out it was like intended so what um, what are they what are they doing um, yeah what are they doing well the uh, I've never seen anything quite like this but of course every session is different the uh, the governor uh, declared a special session for the day after the regular session uh, both chambers convened the Senate passed its property tax plan sent it over to the House. The House said it was not germane to the call, which means that it didn't fit the uh, description for which um, uh, the governor had called the special, wasn't within the, the bounds. Yeah. Now, the way he called the special session was also inappropriate, but that's just a term of art. Uh, the House passed its plan and passed another uh, 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 piece of legislation the governor wanted, and then gaveled out. It adjourned sine die and told the Senate, essentially, take it or leave it. Hmm. So the lieutenant governor has uh, decided uh, he's not going to take it and he's not going to leave it. He is continuing to keep the Senate in session, uh, ostensibly to continue working for the people of Texas, uh, but he doesn't have anybody uh, to send uh, any legislation over to or anybody to negotiate with. And the, I guess the ultimate joke is Neither chamber can actually adjourn for more than three days without the permission of the other chamber. So Uh, they're sort of held captive. (laughs) It's like two scorpions uh, in a bottle. uh, Well, I think we might get the idea that uh, neither Dan Patrick nor Speaker Dave feel like each other. I think we can come to that. Is it? I I read that they had that, that they have not spoken in, I forget how long, more than a year. That can't be true. No, it's not true. They uh, Their last conversation that I'm aware of was uh, on one of the last two nights of the session. They were trying to hammer out a deal on property taxes. Expletives, they were in the governor's office. <laughs> Expletives were exchanged, and the uh, speaker stormed out, and uh, a reporter uh, wanted to ask a question. He said, not now, <laughs> which is totally out of character. That, that's what point. happens when the governor, you know, opens the bar at, for while, while they talk, you know, just... Uh, well, the, the problem is the governor was out on the road for four months uh, pounding the drum on vouchers, which yeah. had no chance of passing, instead of trying to mediate a deal between two contentious uh, leaders. And uh, so the governor bears some responsibility for parachuting in at the last minute uh, to try and rescue something that he should have been working on three months ago. The lieutenant governor or the Senate plan is to... Re- to, to, to I'm not sure how to phrase it. Why don't you do it? It's it, well. It's essentially to raise your homestead exemption That's so right. that the first hundred thousand dollars of value in your home is not taxable. And for folks who have homes that are valued at three, four hundred thousand. That's a pretty substantial uh, yeah. uh, lick. That's reducing property taxes twenty twenty five percent. The house plan uh, doesn't is not as generous to homeowners, but it also includes business and small business um, and. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, the yeah. lieutenant governor is correct to say that homeowners would benefit more from his plan, but property taxpayers in general uh, arguably would benefit more from the House plan. So yeah. uh, 
you, you figure out the difference, but nobody, everybody here is scratching their head. They've never seen it so difficult to uh, return $17 billion yeah. to taxpayers. Yeah, it's, it's funny the reactions I, I read on. I mean, there's legitimate difference of opinion about the best way to go, and people on Twitter are snarking about, boy, you know, all that money you can't. Anyway, uh, Harvey Kronberg yeah. is, edit- is editor and publisher, uh, owner of the Quorum Report, quorumreport.com. One of these, I'm trying to think. So one of these is like, what do they do in California? To Because they had, many years ago, before a lot of our listeners were alive, they had rampant inflation in home prices, and they they put a cap on on the <clears throat> on the value of the property? Yes. Okay. Um, which, of course, created all kinds of distortions. Yes. It felt pretty good at the beginning, but uh, uh, California also has a personal income tax, um, which theoretically, there's, there's three sources of revenue for the state. There's consumption taxes, property taxes, and income taxes. Um, it's a little more complicated, but that's in Texas, we only have two of those three revenue sources. Yes. Um, uh, consumption and property taxes. We don't have an income tax. What it did in California was in order to uh, pay for state government, uh, even when the Republicans were in charge, uh, they had to rely more on the income tax. So income tax rates went up. Uh, in Texas, we have this one-time phenomena where we got you know, $15 billion yeah. in COVID money that we haven't spent. Yeah. Oil is... Um, uh, is uh, a very per, a consistent uh, revenue source. So we're not, and we've got all these new people moving in, about 1,100 people a day move to Texas, which puts more money into sales tax. So we're in this kind of surreal moment right now where uh, it's really not sustainable, we don't think, but, um, no. but that's never stopped the legislature before. Well, <clears throat> I have a kind of a, I fancy myself a right winger, but I don't think, uh, believe me, I'm not for an income state income tax, but also don't want, I don't think we in South Texas will benefit from a sales tax increase, which is what people repair to because they say it's a consumption tax and you can control what you consume. Well, yeah, I don't have to buy Bentley. I can buy something less expensive, but there's a lot of stuff people down here have to buy and it's it's a big, it's a bigger chunk out of their disposable income. But, and I, so I don't know what, what the legislature will do. I've, I've heard people express a desire for sales tax or consumption tax, but um, at least for the moment, I guess. Well, the governor a, is talking increasingly about trying to eliminate the property tax, which is You can't do that. Just nonsense. Sorry. It, no, it's nonsense. If he did that, it would uh, our sales tax would go. Right now, the state can, is maxed out at it, what it can uh, do, which is six and a quarter percent. Local governments and special taxing districts can take it up to eight and a quarter percent. But if we got rid of property taxes, we'd be looking at like a 16 or 18 percent sales tax. No. And that's just not – that would drive everybody to Louisiana, uh, Oklahoma, Arkansas, New Mexico to buy buy goods wherever they could. And um, yeah. it, would, it would be financially devastating. So I'm not sure where the governor is coming from on that. This is no big secret that if you uh, – if you eliminate uh, or dramatically reduce any of the other taxes uh, and try and put more reliance on sales tax, you will cremate the uh, economy of the state of Texas. Uh, we're, we're really out of time, but do you have a bet as to which one will prevail and how fast it's going to prevail? I'm betting that the lieutenant governor, who's not used to losing, 
We'll hold them here uh, until the end of the special session. The governor will call another special session. The House will do the exact same thing. And then the governor will turn all of his guns on the lieutenant governor, uh, saying Whoa. he's the reason you can't get property tax relief. Whoa! A family fight. All right. Um, oh, they've forgotten that, you know, that this is not an entitlement being able to govern the state of Texas, that they have to earn it. Uh, and that's, you know, partially because the Democrats have been so poor in fielding candidates and campaigns. But um, uh, they've, they've, yeah. uh, they're obsessing about their own internal battles in ways that are not, not good for the Republic. Well, we'll, we'll uh, talk again maybe about that poor Mr. Paxton, the Attorney General. Harvey Kronberger of the Quorum Report, thank you very much. We, we uh, greatly appreciate it. Um, he's the owner, editor, writer, quorumreport.com. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.